guys, and welcome to the Hustle and Flow podcast. I'm Sean, the hustle. And I'm Les, the flow. Let's go. All right. Today, we've got a special guest joining us. Uh, his name is Michael Loria. Michael, he is a, a devoted father and husband and also self-published author of Forging Excalibur, uh, the book about rediscovering your masculinity. Uh, Michael is also a qualified counsellor. Uh, men's mentor and a relationship guide with 15 years experience helping people through these mediums um, and a little bit about Michael and his uh, personal side and how he came to be uh, where he is at at the moment is that after 12 years of marriage Michael went through a difficult period uh, with divorce alienation from his children and some financial struggles uh, but Michael, uh, the inspirational part about this is using this challenging period of his life, cultivated a greater level of self-awareness and growth and forming his purpose, which is to lead men forward toward purposeful and uh, meaningful futures and empowering couples in relationships to do the same. So, yeah, Michael, welcome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate this opportunity. Awesome. It's good to have you here, Michael. Yeah, Thank you. It would be great if you could, uh, Les has just introduced you and, um, you know, gives us a bit of background, but we'd love to hear it from the horse's mouth itself. And um, if you could tell us a bit more about you and, and how you've been on this journey and how you got on there. Yeah, cool. Leslie's covered, I guess, the, the basics of that. And uh, if I was to backtrack a little bit, where this really started for me, uh, where the catalyst, the catalyst was my divorce, probably. So that was, uh, that was 13 years ago now. So that was a catalyst. And that sent me on, uh, sent me on a, a downward spiral, actually. Because from that point onwards, because a lot of men, we identify with being a husband and a father, and that's pretty much it. And so when something like that happens, which is quite disruptive, whether it's wanted or not, uh, or whether it was mutual or not, it can be very disruptive, internally disruptive for a man, because then you lose your sense of identity. Um, everything that you've wrapped yourself up in, which is being a husband and a father, all of a sudden that disappears because you're not a husband anymore and you're only a father once a fortnight for two days a week and two nights a week. And so what do you do with the rest of the time and who are you and how do I, how do you identify with yourself and, and who do you become? And this is, this is that what, what I call the hero's journey that a lot of men go on, whether it's after divorce or whether it's at some point in their life when they start to question who they are and what they want to do and who they want to become and how they want to contribute in the world and start to develop a sense of purpose or wish to de develop a sense of purpose, there's that internal disruption that happens and it always happens around the age of about probably approaching 40, usually when men start to question themselves. Right. And that was no different for me. So I was, I was 33, 33 when we got divorce so I was younger than that but that was the disruption that I needed as a catalyst to then propel me forward and I went through a lot of different a lot of adversity over the next few years because as Leslie said there was a period of time where I didn't see my children for nearly 18 months and at the time they were only 10 and 6 wow. so they weren't very old and that was very hard for them it was very hard for me and as a result of that that sent me into a downward spiral of anxiety and depression and and all these mental illness which i'd love to get into later but what really happened as a result of that was then i couldn't maintain a job and so there was financial struggle because i lost a job and then i'd get another one and then i wouldn't i couldn't i just couldn't hold down a job because of how i was feeling in my internal state and so then it got to a point nearly 18 months into it where i hadn't seen my kids for nearly 18 months i'd been in and out of jobs there was no financial security or stability for me at all I had no sense of purpose. I didn't know what I really valued because I didn't even value myself at the time. And so there was a moment where I could have almost, I almost did, almost took my own life because there, a few days before that I had to declare bankruptcy as well because I'd gotten myself into so much, so much of a financial hole um, and I didn't feel like I had any prospects in life whatsoever. Any felt very hopeless. I felt helpless to do anything about it. Um, I knew that I wasn't the version of myself that I wanted my children to see anyway, even if I could see them again straight away. And so I started believing that I just wasn't any good to anyone, let alone myself. 
And so I'd spent the whole night in bed crying. And then the next morning, it was a Sunday morning, I, I woke up and I was about to take my own life. And I got a text message from my son, who was 11, I think, going on 12 at the time. And he said, Dad, uh, we were just talking about you. I love you. And I hope to see you soon. And I hope you're okay. Wow. Right. And so that was a real emotional impact. And that really helped me to put myself back together over a period of time after that and just start to rediscover and re-identify with myself. And so it was, I reckon I, I've done these, told this story a lot of times on podcasts and I reckon it was that point when I got that text message that really was the, probably the kickstart that I needed in order to become who I have become because it was at that moment I thought well this is not the version of myself that I want my son and my daughter to experience and I know I'm capable of so much more well super yeah. powerful man thanks for sharing yep thanks for sharing um, with such uh, honesty and transparency we we really appreciate that and I know the journey that you've been on and I'm sure that we're going to talk about it uh, a lot more through this conversation um, so as you might know the topics uh, that Sean and I usually talk about on our podcast, we usually just talk about one particular topic and um, yep. we'll bring up masculinity for yourself, mate, because that uh, is a big part of what you do and who you are now and what you have discovered uh, and what you write yep. about. And um, you're a leader within this uh, community. So, so yeah, um, might throw to you, mate, and uh, have you tell us a little bit about that word and what it means to you masculinity yeah masculinity masculinity is is one of those terms that means different things to different people right so yes so and we we have a lot of stuff in society these days around toxic masculinity and what that even means and so i've developed this i think i've, I've developed this viewpoint or this perception or this opinion that masculinity simply just is right it's the prominent and dominant force within a man and whilst we have feminine energy within us as well it is the masculine that actually drives us forward and helps us to make good decisions and creates great leaders within men etc etc and when we start to label it anything other than simply masculinity is when we start to dilute it and we start to really uh, bring aspects into it that are not healthy in any way shape or form for who we can identify as and who we have the potential to become so when we talk about masculinity, we have to talk about this term toxic masculinity, which has been in media for the last few years. And I think it's very damaging. So I think it's very damaging because it sends a message to boys and to men that somehow at their very core, they're poisonous and they're toxic, right? And so there's something wrong with them and they've got something to fix. Mm. Whereas if we look at this from a different perspective, masculinity simply is, it's not healthy, it's not toxic. And the way that I approach this is it's either embodied or disembodied, right? So there are aspects of the masculine that are embodied or disembodied. And it's how it's the level of awareness that we have around this and the healing that we do as men and the shadow work that we do um, that determines whether the expression of our masculinity is, uh, you know, for use of a better term, positive or negative. But mm. really when we look at it a little bit deeper, it's about, is it embodied? masculinity is it an embodied expression of our masculinity or is a disembodied expression of our masculinity so we can talk about masculine traits if we want to and masculine traits are you know there's strength and there's courage and there's i think there's there's leadership there's some people might say physical prowess and and but, but there's also more about inner strength there as well yeah. and there's compassion and there's responsibility and you know, the ability to have a level of self-actualization. These are actually the seven standards of men that I talk about in my book too. Mm. That level of self-actualization, which is always trying and striving towards the best version of ourselves possible. So from my perspective, they're the real driving motivations, the real driving forces behind masculinity and some of the virtues and attributes and traits that we can attribute to masculinity. And if we learn as men to embody those traits and those mm. virtues and attributes, then we can actually show up at a very high level in our lives and in our community and for humanity in a way that is 
contributing and with purpose attached to some really strong, powerful core values so that we can actually have a positive effect on everybody we come into contact with and humanity in general. Because part of my mission is to really help men to leave their mark on humanity so that when we leave when we leave this planet physically, the planet and humanity is better for us being here than it was when we were born. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that, mate. Uh, did you have anything to add on that one, Shauna? Any thoughts? Yeah, um, you made some interesting points um, about masculinity and what you believe it to be, Michael. And um, I think one of those interesting points indeed is that uh, you mentioned masculinity just is. It's not... Um, and talking about that in the context of toxic masculinity, which has this negative connotation on it. And, you know, Mm. it does. I also, I agree that terms like that teach boys that, you know, there's something wrong. There is something that needs to be fixed, which I personally don't agree with. Um, And it's not like a he-man thing for me or, you know, any knock against um, the other sex at all. But I think um, the toxic masculinity argument is one that, you know, comes from a very, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but some, you know, like you said, it's telling people that there's something wrong there and something they need to fix and that that is inherent. And I don't feel that that's the case. And I'm um, wanting to talk more about this, where you think this dichotomy comes from um, in recent time with toxic masculinity and this, how fem, um, you know, femininity is on one side and masculinity is on the other side. And it seems like there's this, uh, you know, this clashing happening. Whereas mm. I feel that just like you said, masculinity is, femininity is. And, um, you know, there are things that are inherent within us as men or women that just mm. are. Yep. There's more of this uh, debate now on the toxic aspects of masculinity rather than the positive side, which is the virtues you were speaking about, which mm. if we focus on those, they actually help us to actualize into, into good men that can do good. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering why that is and where you think that comes from. I'd I'd like to unpack that. That's a, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's a big subject. And then we go into um then we go into a lot of the feminist agenda where they talk about the patriarchy and and a lot of the terminology that we see now or that we hear now in media around toxic masculinity is driven by the real you know, far left hardcore feminists that believe that we've been living in this patriarchal society for generations. And so now this is their way of going, well, max, mas- the masculine is toxic. There's a patriarchy. We, we live in a patriarchy and it's not fair and there's inequality around that and there's not inclusion around that. And so what we need to do is we need to think about how can we, rather than work together, as men and women in order to create a healthier society for all of us, these sort of these far left extreme feminists have decided that they're going to really trash masculinity as much as possible and try to break down the hierarchy, uh, not the hierarchy, I'm sorry, the patriarchy in whatever way, in whatever way they can. And the best way to do that is from the ground up, isn't it? Start with the boys, make the boys doubt themselves and their masculinity and their inherent traits and their innate abilities to be leaders and confident men and grow into confident teenagers and men. So let's just muzzle that from the beginning so that when they get to teenagehood and adulthood, they have no idea. They have no sense of identity and we can just create a matriarch, matriarchy instead of there being a patriarchy. So that's a really big and controversial subject, but I truly believe that, that this term toxic masculinity is driven by and motivated by feminists who believe that there's been a a really unhealthy patriarchy that's been running society for hundreds and maybe thousands of years sure it's an interesting standpoint and um i won't claim to know too much about uh what it is and its its origins and uh how it came to be and what exactly the motives are behind these types of labeling such as toxic masculinity but I will talk to more on a general level. Anything like this, I feel like any type of uh, label or uh, container that 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 defines one thing as something, it inherently says that it is 
not everything else that we define it as. And um, it's, it's a paradox because we are saying something is, but by labeling it as such, it is actually disassociating it from what, what it actually is, which is just purely masculinity. Like you were saying, Michael, it just is. Mm. Um, so it's very interesting. I think that these sorts of labels, they, um, they come up a lot. Uh, in modern society without us even knowing. Some are more incendiary than others, um, but they exist all over um, society, you know, um, like femi- feminism, for example, is another mm. one, all that sort of stuff. These sorts of labels that, are, again, were pushing us away from what uh, is actually innately is, uh, which is... And, what, pop- is, and what, what is innately human? Exactly, Simple. exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And when we start to talk about toxic masculinity, what we what people refer to when they talk about toxic toxic masculinity is very simply bad behaviour, mm. right? It's it's bad behaviour. So when when a woman and and not that I condone any of this behaviour, when a when a woman is uh, physically, sexually, emotionally, whatever, abused by a man, or when a man does something violent or aggressive towards another person or an animal or whatever the case may be. It's labelled as toxic masculinity. When in fact, when we look at this from a much deeper perspective, it's not, it's, not about the, it's not about masculinity. It's about the expression of that particular energy in that particular moment. Of that and individual. So that can be, or that individual in that particular moment in their headspace. Yeah. And what are they, what, what's underneath all of that, right? It's very yeah. easy to call it toxic masculinity. But when we look at the behaviour, which is really aggression and violence and men and women are capable of aggression and violence, not just men. So we don't see toxic femininity out there as a term. What we should be doing is going, well, why is that person behaving in that way? Let's have a look at the deeper issues here, right? Not that we condone it, not that it's okay, not that it doesn't go unpunished Mm. in some way, but let's actually have a look at a deeper perspective here rather than label masculinity as toxic and say, well, you know, all men have the capacity to do this. Well, all women have the capacity to do this as well, Yeah. right? Yeah. So let's look at the behaviour and the history and how has that person led, how, is it, how has that person gotten to that point of aggression and violence and really bad behaviour? Yeah, absolutely. Which is damaging to, other, to others, yeah. And that's what that's we miss. I think, we, I think that's what we miss. And I've always, I've said this for since the book came out a year ago, nearly a year ago, and I've been talking about this stuff on podcasts and on the radio, I talk about this all the time. You know, we're, talk, we're, we're focusing on the expression of masculinity, right? That's what we're labelling as toxic, the expression, not our innate masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, I was just saying that's such a good point because definitely not an expert in this field either, Um but when I do read about toxic masculinity or things come up in my feed and I do look into it a bit more, I have noticed that the things that are essentially being trashed about masculinity are just, as you said, the expression and that both men and women, are, we're all capable of those things. And it's not the masculinity itself. It's, it's what that person has done, as you said, in that moment, which is, I mm. think, such a good uh, an important thing to point out. It's everybody is capable of these things and it's not just masculinity or femininity that's bringing those out. It's, it's the expression of that individual. Yeah. It's a, there's a massive distinction there. And rather than, you know, rather than placing that doubt in boys' minds that they're somehow poisonous and toxic, maybe I think we need to really reposition ourselves in that regard and talk more to these boys about what is appropriate and what is inappropriate behavior. But if we're going to do that, then we have to do the same thing with girls, mm. right? So it needs to be much more of a, much more of you know. And this is this is the this is the irony, right? A lot of these feminists talk about inclusion. However, there's no real inclusion when it comes to talking to young boys and young girls around behaviour. It's more focused on boys and their propensity to, for aggression and violence sometimes, simply because they're not taught how to express their emotions effectively it's as simple as that yeah 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 let me let me ask you something mate and we might be going on a on a little bit of a tangent but as you were talking i was just reflecting on uh my own experience as a child and what my views on masculinity 
or being a man was. And mm. I always, and I've shared this uh, many times, I think, on, on, uh, that's to some degree on, on, the, on the podcast. And I've always felt like I was um, a bit of an outsider growing up as, as a child. Um, and I think I put it down to the environment that I grew up in. I think that plays a, a massive role in terms of how um, anyone perceives the world around them, but mm. also around general uh, society and how men are, um, are men are shown to the world. You know, there's that very atypical um, <clears throat> macho man type uh, uh, vision that that most men want to live up to or strive towards. And uh, I tried to play that uh, role for, for many years and I tried to strive towards that, but I knew it wasn't me uh, you know, mm. innately. And those are the masks that I have since shed uh, quite some years ago. But it's, um, it's interesting, like, tell me your thoughts on the general image of man in, in modern society and how that attributes to, you know, the, um, I guess, the, the confusion of, of men growing up in, in a society like this. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, one of the more, one of the more unhealthy characteristics that we have or the belief in society that we have about what it, what, what you should be as a man is you should be this muscle bound. Um, you should be this muscle bound example of, Mass, really masculinity, right? So it's this old version, this old macho man version of what a man should be. And so he should be ripped and he should be shredded and he should be built and he should be muscular, right? And he's got to have a beard. And a couple of us here have got a beard. There's nothing wrong with beards, <laughs> right? But, but he should have a beard. He should be muscular. He should um, be very stoic, right? Um, there's all these ideas and these beliefs that we have about what men should be and how they should embody their masculinity. But in fact, what happens is that um, when men start to do that, and I've noticed that the more, and, and this is a real generalization, but the people that I've come into contact with that are really, they're just built their muscle. There's got muscle on top of muscle, right? What they're actually doing is putting layer upon layer over themselves, literally the person that they are underneath. Yep. And we see, and I'll see in those men, a lot of suppression, a lot of avoidance. There's a lot of built up anger and frustration because what they're trying to do is build muscle on top of the avoidance, muscle on top of the suppression, muscle on top of the feelings. And then when they act all stoic and it's like nothing fears, I don't fear anything, nothing bothers me, I'm good, I can handle it, I can take it, um, I've got my shit together. Again, it's just more layers over the top yeah. of, who, of their true character the, the true person underneath and i think one of the things that we're starting to realize now that this i don't like to call it this new version of masculinity but when we start to become more embodied within our masculinity we start to understand that there is a ridiculous amount of strength in vulnerability and a ridiculous amount of strength in just allowing ourselves to be authentically who we are yeah at our very core there's more strength in that than building physical muscle in the gym. Yeah. Not no issue with building muscle as long as you're not doing it, um, you know, putting layer upon layer um, over your the, the the core and the essence of who you are as a man. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a great point. It's a really good point sure. because um, I can speak to that because I've lived that life. I've experienced that for myself, and that that was what it was back in the day. Um, mm. It was a it was a level of um, lack of self worth and uh, self-respect that I needed to show up in a certain way that was perceived as um, something that people revered or looked up to. And that was um, this guy that went to the gym five, six times a week and just got massive and ripped and, you know, had yeah. this, has this um, uh, godly physique. Um, but, but yeah, that, that is one aspect of it. And I think that in terms of the expression part as well and vulnerability um, totally is uh, where I am today. And it's just funny to think that, and it's a good indicator as well as to where we are as a, as a community, as a society, as a people, um, to think that vulnerability is only now coming out as something that is truly known to be 
uh, a powerful thing. Um, so that sort of highlights the fact that there is a lot of suppression and uh, authentic, authentic expression that has not been expressed and been mm. kept underneath and um, caused these sorts of, you know, uh, false personas to, to pop up. Absolutely. Mm. And there's also, there's also the flip side of this as well, whereas where we're too much vulnerability or I shouldn't say that. Well, no, I will say that too much vulnerability over a sustained period of time is also just as unhealthy as no vulnerability. Right. right. And so what I'm seeing out there in our society, especially in men's movements, right. Um, is this growing number of spiritual men's groups that are starting and they basically get together and they form groups of people and they hug and they cry and they kiss and they become vulnerable and they do all this stuff and they do it for long periods of time, right? They'll do it for a whole weekend at a retreat and then they'll catch up in smaller groups and they'll do the same thing and they'll share and they'll cry and they'll hug and they'll be, but there's no expression of empowerment that comes out of that. They remain in that space of pain and hardship and adversity from an emotional perspective. Mm. And then I see them when they've got no other feelings they can possibly express then they go into, oh, well, now I've got to talk about my ancestral patterns, right? right? And now I've got to talk about what's built into my DNA because uh, my great-great-grandfather cheated on his wife and, has, and had three children to three different women um, and now I've got to deal with all the insecurities and instabilities within me and inadequacies as a, res a result of that and that's why I cheated on my partner. It's like, no, we're going to start to move beyond all of that. And I'm seeing a growing movement of men who create groups to do this. And it's like they get stuck in this victim mentality and this, and this real lack of responsibility and disempowered place where they start to blame and find fault yep. with everything external to them and even in from the past as well. And, then, and that's just as disembodied as what toxic masculinity is. Right. right, because what they're doing is they're still avoiding the parts of them that need to step up and take responsibility and embody all the attributes and virtues and traits that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So there's a flip side. It's not about too much vulnerability. It's a sustained period of time of where you choose to stay there. Yeah. 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 There's, um, that's one thing I've noticed as well is this, um, this increased focus, I guess, on vulnerability just as a whole. And one thing I have wondered is like, what is too vulnerable if there is such a thing i do think about that um and things that another thing i've noticed I'm not trying to be insensitive at all but i'm like there is trauma everywhere that's mm. what i'm seeing you know everybody is talking about some form of trauma that they have experienced um and i'm not trying to discount people that have gone through you know legitimate trauma but it's like how far back do you go and what actually counts as trauma and yep. how is focusing on that pushing you forward so, so if I can just respond to that, yeah. um, how there is trauma everywhere. Definitely. You can, well, see, I, I might just disagree with that respectfully, if that's okay. I don't think there's trauma. In terms of I'm, as in the, I'm seeing out there that that is what everybody is saying as in they are putting yeah, out right. that there is okay. trauma everywhere. Not that I think there is, but rather yep. that's what I'm seeing is like, I see trauma here. I see trauma there. And, and it's like, what's going on there? Because I don't think everything is a trauma. I think people perceive things in different ways, depending upon their experience um, and their, and the veil that they see the world through as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and from my perspective as well, how much personal responsibility they're taking about their own state and who yes. they choose to be in each moment. And so it's very easy for a lot of us to, to say, well, um, you, there's there's opportunities for me to be within pain everywhere because there are and there's plenty of people yeah. to blame and plenty of situations to find fault with if we really want to but one of the real strengths of the masculine in my opinion is that we can see that but we can also move beyond it because there's an inner strength and a resilience there that says yes that's happening but that doesn't need to happen to me mm -hmm. right and I can show up differently. So I'll share with you, if I can, one of the things that I do. So when I, when I have something in my life that happens or I've created a situation or something happens in my life that's painful, what I used to do was go, oh, no, it's okay, I'm cool. I'll just get on with shit. I'm fine, 
right? And what I've learned to do now is to allow myself to sit in the pain, in the heartache, in the whatever for a period of time. And I actually allocate myself a period of time, right? And I'll allocate myself an hour and I allow myself to sit in that pain. And if I need to cry, I'll cry. And if I need to write stuff out, then I'll write stuff out. And then I, when my alarm goes off, that's it. It stops and I move on with my life and I get on with what I've chosen to do. And then the next day I'll do the same thing until that hour turns into 10 minutes and then five minutes. And then I start to try and tap into that pain and it's not there anymore. Mm. Right? Because it's healed. And I've, and, and I've found that when you allow full expression in a controlled environment, right? So, you, and this is, this is part of our shadow aspect. This is part of the sh- our shadow, right? So when we start to think about the shadow, the shadow is everything we suppress and avoid and deny for long periods of time. And so what I've learned is the best way to deal with the shadow, the best way to embody the shadow and integrate the shadow is to allow it out, right? Allow those fears, those insecurities, those inadequacies out every now and then in a controlled environment, give it a little bit of power. And so you can have power for an hour. You've got an hour of power here, right? And then it's me. I'm taking over again and I'm going to live my life and do my thing and you're not going to affect me. And then tomorrow I'm going to give you an hour as well. Whether you choose to take that hour or not is up to you. Mm. Yeah. Right? And so I've developed this practice over time because what that does is it helps me to experience and express what I need to without it being all consuming. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think um, the general principles like about this and everyone will have a different approach and method towards it. Uh, what I will say about it is really that it, there, is a, there is a need for real expression and, uh, and feeling into the emotions that you are getting at those particular points in time, uh, whatever the trauma yeah. or challenge is that you're being faced with. But then it's also about seeing what that is trying to tell you or teach you in that particular moment. What do you get out of that? Within every moment, there is an opportunity, but only if we're aware to it. So are we aware enough to pick out those opportunities or those messages or those learnings from these difficult times that we're facing? And then from there, we continue forward on that path, on that hero's journey, like you mentioned. This is the classic analogy that Joseph Campbell uses, right? And it's just that you face your demons, you defeat them, and you keep going. You keep walking that path. And yeah. that's, that's as simple as that, right? And I think that it's, it's simple in that it, there is, it's, it's simple, but it's very difficult to do, right? And I think that that's uh, one of the, the key roadblocks for many people that they see that there is a level of difficulty towards you know facing your demons or feeling the pain or being okay with feeling the pain or being okay with being vulnerable or expressing yourself um so i would also just say that these types of experiences they're not um i guess exclusive to men or women these things just happen to everyone and it's just a way of seeing you know or perceiving particular challenges within your mm. life and how you deal with them and continue to move forward from them. And that's key, right? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think um, in addition to that, I think men, we just have this, this uh, incredible superpower to suppress and deny and avoid a lot more than what, uh, that what women do. Absolutely. Because women, women express a lot more, right? Because they're more mm. comfortable in doing so. Mm. Whereas men, we have this, as I said, superpower, super <laughs> suppression superpower. <laughs> and we can do it in a moment just like that. And it's no effort at all. No. And I think um, one of the things you spoke about, which is really interesting, that I've actually learned to do myself, is to sit in the pain of things. And I think it's one of those things that people really avoid because it is hard it's very hard. Mm. And, and Les and I talk about this all the time. And, and I have this belief that people just avoid things that are hard. Um, and because they're not taking responsibility. Yeah. And, and yep. that's the key part to it, Michael. That's the key part. It's like the responsibility you take for yourself. Mm. Yep. Right. It's not all these outside things. It's your reaction to it. Absolutely. And once you take that control 
um, and you do choose because you're making that choice to sit in the pain, right? Like, yeah, I am. So a conscious choice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it and, doesn't, and, it, I never allow it to overtake me. I never allow it to consume me. It's given a specified amount of time mm, and yes. I'm doing that consciously and intentionally. Mm. Because and, and that's so if, powerful. Yeah, because if we don't, what happens is it manifests unconsciously in other areas of our lives. And so then it starts to manifest in our relationship. It manifests, uh, you know, in our intimate relationship and manifests in our relationship with our children. It also um, starts to show up in levels of uh, patience, levels of tolerance for certain situations. It also shows up in our work, how much focus and commitment we have at work. So it shows up in so many different areas of our lives but more so what happens is continual suppression of our emotions is like trying to keep a beach ball under the water, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you can do so for a period of time, but eventually what happens is when you let go, because you can't keep it under there forever, it bursts out of the surface with such force um, that it's quite, it can be quite disruptive. And this is what happens when we see expressions of that, that, that suppressed emotion, and then we call it, in the case that we were talking about before, we call it toxic masculinity. And so it's so powerful to make a conscious choice to intentionally sit within the pain for a pre-prescribed period of time in order to um, allow what needs to come up to come up peacefully and within a real controlled environment so you don't have that beach ball bursting out of the water moment and then you do damage to yourself and others. Yeah. I think that's a great framework people can use. Yep, definitely. Definitely. Um, one thing I do want to ask Michael as well is um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, men tend to have this internal disruption usually around the age of 40. Yep. You know, I'm in my um, early thirties, Les the same. Um, so just wondering what are the sort of, I guess, things that lead to that disruption? Is there a pattern? Is there like, are things that you see in your work that tend to come up more often than not? Yeah, um, it's, it's a general feeling of unease and it's, it's, it's almost like a dull ache that a man starts to feel within. It's almost like a dull ache and a sense of unease and a sense of what more is there to my life than being a husband and a father and I'm, I'm approaching 40. What have I done with my life? What have I achieved? What do I have to show for it? More than just from, you know, the money that I have or the house that I own or whatever the case may be or the career. Um, and then it's get, get, you get to a point where you're approaching 40 where if you've been in the same career since you started work, you've been in that career for nearly 20 years or you've jumped between different things trying to find whatever it is that makes you happy, right? And you haven't actually ever done that deep work which is around a strong connection to a powerful set of core values. You know, you, people don't, most men don't understand what they truly value. They'll tell you family, love, integrity, but all those things are highly dependent upon um, circumstances, situations, and people. Core values are immutable, right? So they don't change no matter what's happening in your external world. And so most men don't take the time to actually do the internal work to figure out what they are. Um, nor connect to some kind of overarching purpose for their life that gives their day-to-day some meaning for them. And so it's only when a man starts to get to 40, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a emotional, what can I call it? It's almost like an emotional barrier. You get to, you're approaching 40. And I remember what it was like because I'm 45 going, turning into turning 46 this year. So I still remember what it was like turning 40. It's like, Wow. Because when you're in your teens, a 40-year-old is old, right? And, yeah. and I still remember that. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting old, even though I'm not. You just kind of feel like you're aging when you get to 40. Okay. And it's like, I have limited time now, even though I don't. I've got limited time. What am I going to do with the rest of the second half of my life? Because the average life expectancy for a man is about 86 or something, right? So mm-hmm. when you get to 40, 44, you're halfway there. Yeah. So that's the, uh, the classic midlife crisis, huh? Yeah, it happens. And it happens younger these days. It used to happen when people were 50 or so, mm. because, because we all 50, 55, somewhere around there, not because life expectancy was longer in any way, but 
we didn't have access to the same information that we do now and the same mindsets and the same training and the level of consciousness that we do now. Yeah. And so everything is quickening and we want a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning in life younger so that we can make more of a difference, more of an impact, step into something that feels like we're contributing to others because men want to do that. Whether we admit it or not, we actually want to have relevance and have meaning and feel like we're contributing to the outside world at a high level. And when we don't feel like we can do that, when we don't feel like we have meaning, purpose and a sense of contribution to the world, then what happens is we start to feel very, as I said before, we have that dull ache and we feel very uneasy within and we can't quite identify that and that really plays with our level of self-esteem and our confidence and that level of self-assuredness and who am I and what's my identity and what does it even mean? Mm. And that's why approaching 40 for some men, for most men, is so important to start that process. And if you can do it in your early 30s, do it in your early 30s because then when you approach 40, you have such a deep sense of meaning um, to life that it's not, it's almost like just a transitory time instead of this point that you get to where it's like I'm getting old, I'm running out of time and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And what I want to ask you about, Michael, I want to, as you were talking about this and um, you mentioned it at the start when you were describing a bit about your background and how you came to be where you are now mm. and it's surrounding this, this concept of identity and it was a really nice sort of picture that you painted for me um, with regards to what you identified, you know, as being a husband and as being a father and then those types of things being torn away from you. What, where, the, where did that leave you and how did you feel at that moment and how did you pick yourself back up to get to where you are? So I felt, I, I remember feeling this empty feeling inside. It was like there's no meaning anymore. Like I'm not a husband or a partner anymore. I can't be a father anymore. And then that, that even makes it, that even highlights even more when you come home after work to an empty house. When you used to come home and the kids would run up and go, dad's home and, you know, all that stuff. And, and, um, and so the, what was your, your question was, how did I move out? How did, how did that feel? And then how did I move beyond that? Yeah. Just tell us a little yeah, bit so about I, your journey to, to getting to this point. So it was, a, it was a feeling of real emptiness and lack of meaning in life when I got divorced and when I was on my own. And so when I had that catalyst moment on that Sunday morning that I talked about earlier, mm. it was then that I really was able to, it was almost like I had this, um, you know, figurative drone and I was able to zoom out on myself in that moment and then ha and really observe from the observer perspective of who I had chosen to become. Right. And when I looked at who that person had become, I was even more dissatisfied and in fact, I was actually quite disgusted with myself that I allowed myself to fall to that depth of lack of self-esteem, lack of self-worth to the point where I was even going to end my own life, right? And so what I did was I thought, well, how do I fix this? Because I was still in that fixing mode back then, right? Mm. So how do I fix this? So the first thing is, all right, well, I'm going to clean the house, have a shower, make my bed. And it's funny because Jordan Peterson talks about that in his book. 12 yep. rules of life, right? Yep. Make you make your bed because totally. it's that, it's that one action that is an intentional thing that sets up the rest of your day. And figuratively, when you have these routines, it sets up your life and you create your life. And so it was about literally cleaning up my physical space because I've been unemployed for a period of time. Um, and at that point it was about six weeks. And if I'm being entirely honest, I hadn't done the dishes. I hadn't washed any clothes. I hadn't had a shower for a week. I was just in such a place. And so the first thing was tidy my environment up, clean my environment up, do the washing, do the dishes, have a shower, put some clean clothes on, um, go and get a haircut, right? Have a shave. These things were so important to me. Get out and go for a walk. And I did all of this in that, on that week, on that day, on that Sunday. Mm. And it was so important for me to, 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 bring order to my environment so then I didn't feel like I was living in chaos. That was the first thing. And the second thing is, um, all right, so I need a little bit more meaning. I need some purpose to my days. So I need to go out there and get a job, right, yeah. instead of lounge around the house. So 
and I was lucky because I had lots of contacts, good friends, and I, I was able to land a job pretty quickly. Um, so did that. And whilst I was doing that, I, I started coming out of it. I started feeling better about myself because I was, my environment was clean and tidy. I gained employment um, and I got my paperwork together for the next family court date. So I started feeling a little bit better about things. I'd heard from my son, which was good. I hadn't for a while. And I had a moment. I was on the way to work one morning. It was about two weeks later, I had a moment. And I thought, if I'm going through this, other men are likely going through something similar. And I'd really love to, now that I'm kind of get it coming out of this, I'd really love to contribute to them and try to help them. Mm. And so I thought, how do I do that? So I did a bit of investigation. And then long story short, I enrolled in a diploma of counselling. And I studied my diploma of counselling. I did that in 12 months. And when I was about halfway through, I started facilitating men's groups for dads, divorced dads, okay? And, I, and from that point on, I started facilitating men's groups and then I started my counselling practice. Um, and then what happened through my counselling practice is I was counselling these guys and I found that they were coming back week after week, but they were coming back week after week feeling the same as they had the previous week. And this was happening time and time again. And so that was cause for me to deeply reflect and go, well, am I actually helping these guys? Because they're coming back, they feel like they're feeling good after the session, but then when they come back next week, they're just as much in the depths of despair as what they were when they came the previous week. And this was happening over and over again. Mm. So I thought, I'm missing something here. I'm not actually helping people. So I went off and I educated myself more around neuroscience and neuroplasticity, which is the ability to really um, change the physical structure of our brain um, and how we think. And neuroplastic, uh, neuroscience is all about the study of um, thought patterns, feelings, and, and also the brain too, and the, the relationship between the conscious and the subconscious mind. And so when I, when I went back into this, I went back into more of a coaching role as, as opposed to counselling, and that's when I started people seeing people get results. And these guys were then starting to become better as people, and then that was that was uh, attracting the interest of their ex-partners in some cases. And they were going, well, this is the guy that I always wanted you to be. Now let's see if we can make something work. And so my practice started to evolve into not just men's work, but also working with couples. Yeah. And that, start, that started the process of relationship coaching, right? Which I've been doing, which I've been doing now for 10 years. And I've been doing my coaching practice for 10 years. Um, yeah. And then I got to a point when was it last early last year? Uh, it's about a month ago when I wrote more than a month, more than a year ago. I'm sorry. When I wrote my book, forging Excalibur. Mm. And from then it's been a ride in and of itself. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing story. You know, see like the, the key sort of takeaways for me when I listen to your story, mate, is that you started, you know, with your own backyard as Jordan Peterson says, right. You yeah. sort of take care of your own stuff. You take care of your own shit you clean your own backyard and get yourself in order. And it's a slow iterative process, right? It's it a is slow a, burn, yeah. Yeah, it's a process. And I think that is uh, a key to take away from, you know, stories like this. Those types of healing journeys, self-healing journeys, it takes years and years and years. And there's evolution involved, there's adaptation, yep. there's pivoting. Yep. Um, and you know, and, and it, and it is a absolutely wild ride up and down ebbs and flows. But uh, if you are able to continue to pivot and evolve and adapt to any situation that pops up, like you did, you know, with your counseling to coaching, to relationship coaching, you know, to writing a book, then your programs now it's, um, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful story. So thanks for sharing, mate. Always, man, always. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, one of my biggest driving factors, which is the driving factor for most fathers, is the question that I ask myself, who do I need to become in order for my son to have someone to emulate? And who do I have to become in order for my daughter to experience who she should, you know, end up with at the end of the day as well? Because our sons, and I talk about this in the book as well, our sons will seek to emulate us at every step of the way as they grow and evolve um, and move forward into life. And our daughters will attract a partner of exactly the same quality as us, as their father. 
And so we think about who does who do I want my daughter to end up with, right? Yeah. And who do I who do I want my son to become? And so if we think about that every moment of every day, how we're showing up for them, how we're showing up to the world and what they're observing, it's very easy to continue to be better and better all the time. Totally. Did you have anything else to add on that one, Shauna? No, I just think, um, you know, Michael, you're a testament to someone who's taken responsibility for themselves and, and done the work, done the hard work, and now you're sharing that with other people and showing them how to do it. So I really commend you for that. Mm. Yeah, thank you. So, Michael, um, might get you to tell everyone where they can find you and if there's anything you want to plug, mate. Floor's yours. Yeah, cool. Okay, no worries. So they can, if you just search me on social media, Michael Laurier, L-A-U-R-I-A. I also have a men's group called Forging Excalibur, Creating Knights for Men. So if you search that on Facebook, um, that's a free group. Uh, and I run an ongoing intake of programs every three months called Forging Excalibur, the 12-month hero's journey for men, which is a 12-month group program. It's very immersive. It's quite intense. So it's not for everyone, but it's for those who want to actually step up and contribute to the humanity um, at a real high level, mm. right? Um, and actually start to tap into that sense of purpose um, and sense of meaning and really connect with who they truly are, core values, purpose, contribution, meaning, and all of that. Um, and at the end of that process, there's a seven-day retreat where we actually go away for seven days and each man forges his own physical sword which he can then take away with him, put up on the wall as a testament to his journey and a symbol of the growth that he's undergone, forged himself over that 12 months as well. So it's very cool. And, I'm, and I've taken the first intake. I'm starting the first intake. I've started that already. I'm taking a second intake. What are we now? Early April. Mm. So I'm starting a new intake as of the 30th of April. Um, and there'll be one every three months. So, yeah. Epic. And they can find your book on Amazon, yeah? On Amazon, yeah. Or they can buy a paperback directly from me. Okay, excellent. Plus awesome. my website, michaellauriercoaching.com. Cool. Thank you, mate. And Shauna? Um, best place to find me is on Instagram. Just type in Sean underscore Coop, S-H-A-U-N underscore C-O-O-P. Send me a message anytime. Love to chat. And mm -hmm. how about you, Les? And me, findingspace.co. That's my website. You can touch base with me there. Um, and also the same uh, handle for all my um, social media. So at findingspace.co. Uh, Sean and I have also got uh, an email address now. So if you want, guys want to send us through any questions or any feedback or, you know, um, suggest any topics that we want to talk about or even uh, introduce guests and things like that, uh, it's the hustle and flow podcast at gmail.com. And um, as always, guys, we just ask that if you um, got some good golden nuggets and value from this podcast, um, please do share it out. I myself got a lot out of this. So thank you, Michael. Um, and I'm sure that the people listening have men in their lives who could definitely benefit from your teachings and um, the things you've shared today. So if you do have those people, guys, please share it out and um, get the message out to uh, become better men. Absolutely. So thank you, Michael, for joining us today. Um, until You're next welcome, time, guys. guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, until next time, guys. We'll speak to you soon. See you later.